This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Man, what a what a peaceful bumper video. You know, you ever done any hot yoga? Kind of what it makes me think about. Just gonna do some hot. Pastor Aaron's done some hot yoga. He just started a class a couple of weeks ago, uh, but since he's not here, oh yeah, he was going to the Cowboys game. Man. I was so excited about preaching. I mean, he, he asked me to preach. I thought, wow, what a compliment. My pastor wants me to preach, and then I find out the cowboys are in town. <laughs> so he set me up. That's what he did. He set me up. Listen, I love it. I thank God for the opportunity to share his words with you. One of the things I love about teaching and preaching the word of God is just this. It's actually kind of a love-hate deal I love it, but it challenges me. Because before I get up here with a mic and I try to teach and instruct a biblical principle to you, if I'm not first trying to model or live that truth out in my own life, I'm just a blind man trying to lead a blind man, right? We're both gonna end up in a ditch. And so it's a challenge. It's kinda like, uh, it's kinda like bodybuilding. Got any bodybuilders in here? Come on. Where are you at? Show yourself. Oh, big Kurt. Kurt's a bodybuilder. Okay. You can't, if you're going to, to build the muscle, you have to first what? You have to tear it. You have to break it down in order for it to build stronger and to grow stronger. And it's similar with our relationship with Christ. If we are going to grow, we must be challenged and we must go through difficulty. And this is what the word of God does. This, this is what God's word does for us. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts through bone, it cuts through marrow, and it gets to the heart of the issue. And so this past month has been a challenge. It's been a challenge for me because it's, it's a tough passage that we're dealing with uh, this morning. And it's a passage that God used to really wake me up in a particular area in my life. So let's jump in. Mark chapter 10, we're gonna start in verse 17. Uh, it says this, it's Jesus. I'm gonna read from my Bible. You can follow along in the on the screen. It says, as Jesus started to leave, a man ran to him and fell on his knees before Jesus. This is a good start. This is a good start for all of us on our knees before Christ. The man asked the question. He said, good teacher, what must I do to have life forever? Pretty noble question. I mean, obviously the man is seeking. He's wanting to learn. He's, he's wanting to know this answer. And Jesus answers in verse 18, kind of in a classical Jesus way. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. It's just the humility of Jesus that Paul teaches us in Philippians 2, that even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he is God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So even though Jesus is God, he humbled himself and took the role as son to his father. So he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good, verse 19. You know the commands. You must not murder anyone. 
You must not be guilty of adultery. You must not steal. You must not tell lies about your neighbor. You must not cheat. Honor your father and your mother. Most of you are familiar with these commandments. Jesus gives this man six commandments out of the 10 commands. And so the, you and I, I know that you and I for sure have broken one of these commands. But here's what the man says in verse 20. He says, teacher, I have obeyed all these things since I was a boy. Really? You've never murdered anyone? Okay, maybe. But we know that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5 that even out of anger, when we lash out and we say something to a brother or sister, or when we call a brother or a sister a fool, we're in danger of the fire of hell. We are in danger of judgment from God. Maybe he hasn't committed adultery per se, but we know that Jesus teaches also in Matthew chapter 5 that any man who even looks upon a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. So this guy has never lusted. <laughs> uh, come on, guys. Help me out now. Come on. Help me out. This guy has never, since he was a boy, never even thought about a girl in that way. Never lashed out of anger and said something he shouldn't have said or done something he shouldn't have done. Never done that since he was a boy. Never stole anything. Never cheated anyone. Always listened to his parents. Always obeyed them. Always brought them honor. You see where I'm going with this? The man was blind. He couldn't see his own sin. I've obeyed all of the, he's talking to Jesus. Look, at, he's talking to the one who knew no sin. I have obeyed all these commands since I was a boy. Probably not. The reality is he, he hadn't. But Jesus, knowing Jesus, the power that he had, even in the flesh, Jesus probably could have went back and, and picked out a specific moment where he broke one of those commands. And Jesus could have brought that to his attention. Jesus could have stood there and debated with the man or told the man that he was wrong. But look at what Jesus did. This is why I love Christ so much. Verse 21, Jesus, looking at the man, loved him. Wow. <laughs> he didn't put him down. He didn't stomp on him. We're talking about Jesus, the perfect one. He didn't judge his self-righteousness. He what? He loved him. That's a word for somebody this morning. Someone needs to hear that. No matter how self-righteous or how Together, you may feel you have it and you've done nothing wrong. Guess what? Jesus still loves you. No matter what struggle, what addiction, what you have done in the past, guess what? Jesus still loves you. John tells us that God is love. That's who he is, church. That's who we came to worship today. We came in here to worship a God who is, embodies the very definition of love. 
and he loves us no matter what we have done, where we, we have gone. That's just who he is. So Jesus loved the man, looked at him with compassion, and then he said, there's one more thing you need to do. Go and sell everything you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Wow. Jesus hit the man where it hurt. Brother David at Long Hollow, I heard him once say that at the heart of every problem is a heart problem. And we all have a heart problem in here. And so did this man. And Jesus looked through all the, the self-righteousness and the pride. He got through all of that and he got the man right where it hurt in his heart. He saw into the man's heart. In verse 22, we, we see that the man was very sad to hear Jesus say this. And he left sorrowfully. Why? This... This was the last thing in the world that this man would think Jesus would say. After all, he had obeyed all these commands since he was a boy in his mind. And for Jesus to say, you need to do one more thing. All those possessions that you've worked so hard for, that bank account, with that money that you've strived so hard to save and to set up for yourself, you need to sell those things. You need to give that away to the poor. And then you won't just have treasure on earth. You'll have treasure where it really counts, in heaven. And then come and follow me. That's the last thing the man thought Jesus was going to say. So he was sad. He was burdened. He was sorrowful because he had spent so much of his life. We don't know if he inherited the wealth or worked for the wealth, but his identity, his purpose, his life was his wealth. He was a rich man. It reminds me of a, a story from my in-laws. My in-laws took, uh, took Zoe and I and the babies on vacation last month. And we were on our way home. We were driving back home from Florida. And I was talking to both of them. They're, they're here today. Uh, I was talking to them. And, and they began to share a story with me that I had heard before. But it's just so funny. And I love every time they, they tell it. And so my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, when they got married, my mother-in-law worked at Lazarus. Some of you may not be familiar with that department store. I don't think there are a lot of Lazarus stores in the South. But anyhow, she worked at a department store called Lazarus. And for about a year or more, she had accumulated some nice business clothes. If you're going to work at a department store, you got to look the part, right? So she had some nice attire, nice clothes, and she had put these clothes in like three trash bags uh, and set them beside the door because when she, was, when she got home that evening, she was going to take them to the dry cleaners. It was trash day. You know where I'm going. So my father-in-law, being the responsible, faithful servant that he is, 
went around the house, got all the trash, put it in the trash bags. On his way out the door, he looks down, and lo and behold, he sees three black trash bags. On trash day, when you have three black trash bags, where are they going to go? The trash. So he proceeds to take the trash bags, throws them in the trash. The the garbage man comes and takes them off. My mother-in-law comes home, begins to look for her close to $1,000 worth of clothes that she had accumulated over the year because she's going to take them to the dry cleaner. So she talks to Dale. Dale, do you know where those three black trash bags are? And Dale begins to film back through his memory. Yeah, I, I do. They're in the trash. What? Now, for some of you, that's a trip to the courthouse, all right? Thank God they're still married. They're still here. They're fighting. They're living on. But still, can you imagine? Close to $1,000 worth clothes might, clothes might not be your deal. So let's bring it home a little bit. What's that one thing? You go home. You go home and you find out that your spouse or your mom or your dad threw away that blank. What is it? For me, I have about a stack of workout DVDs. I know it don't look like it, okay? But I got to try to stay young with these kids, all right? I'm getting old. So I got a stack of DVDs. If I came home to find my DVDs in the trash because Zoe threw them away, guess who's sleeping on the couch? I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> Little man said, me. <laughs> He's smart. You're training him up, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. But it's those things, God, those things that we hold so close to us. I know you have something. What is it? And as I read through this passage, man, God began to to convict me. And I knew as soon as Pastor Aaron gave me the passage to preach this Sunday, I knew it was going to be hard. It reminded me of Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus teaches about um, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where no one can break in and steal and rust cannot get to them instead of storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I started asking myself the question, and it's a hard question to ask yourself because sometimes you just have to get really honest with God, and that's scary. And so I started asking, God, what, Where's my treasure? Where's my treasure? Jesus told another story about a man who was wandering around in a field. He was walking around one day in a field, and he happened to stumble upon this hidden treasure. So it's like if you and I were walking the property out here, and bam, we found a suitcase. And we're kind of looking around. Like, what, what is there a suitcase doing in the middle of a field? And we lift it up, and there's a, a million dollars, cold, hard cash, stacks upon stacks upon stacks of $100 bills, $1 million. And we're looking around like, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Somebody hit the jack. It's lottery day. Thank you, Lord. And you're excited and you're so ecstatic because no one else knows but you. 
And so the man who found the treasure went back to his hometown and he started just selling away everything, his house, his car, his furniture, his dog, everything. He was just selling everything. Neighbors were thinking he was crazy. He's lost his mind. He's gone insane. What is going on? And he buys a field, a field. What are you going to do with a field? But no one else understood No one else knew that what was in that field was worth far more than anything that he sold. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like when you first understand that you can have salvation. I'm talking to you. Through all of your mistakes in your life, through all the wrong turns you took in your life, all the wrong paths you went down, you can have salvation. When you understand that Jesus will wipe every sin that you ever committed as far as the east is from the west, you can have salvation. That out of seven billion people, God chooses you to have salvation. Man, once you understand that, once we understand that, what's better than that? What is it that money can buy that's better than standing before God one day and him looking at us and saying that we are innocent because of the blood of Christ? There's nothing better than that, church. Nothing better than that. Nothing that we can have on this earth can compare to that truth. And that is where our treasure should be. In Christ. Not in these earthly things that are going to pass away. But just like you, I struggle. Why? Verse 21 or verse 23, Jesus looked at his followers and said, how hard it will be for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when I used to read these passages, I would think, man, I kind of feel for the doctors and the lawyers and those professional athletes and the CEOs of these major corporations. I kind of feel for them. Because it's going to be hard for them. It's going to be hard for them to make it to heaven one day. And then God dropped us halfway across the world in Korea. Actually across the world. And we got to live there two years. And I haven't been a lot of places around this world. But I have been to Haiti. And I have been to Costa Rica. And I've seen the way that people live. And by the grace of God, he's over the course of three or four years, he's begun to teach me that the rich man is me. I am the rich man. It's going to be hard for me to inherit God's kingdom. Why? Because I have all of these things trying to distract me from my ultimate treasure. I have all of these monetary 
treasures on earth. These things that I see with my eyes, they look so good. They look so pretty and nice. I want them. And I'm distracted from what really matters in this life. Let me remind you something, church. We're not here long. We're not. Compared to eternity, our days on this earth are thin, but a breath. And we don't even know if we're gonna make it the rest of the day. So why do we live for ourselves? Why do we live to please me? We have, we have a pastor on staff. Her name's Deborah Jackson. Sort of a mix between Dr. Phil and Beth Moore. <laughs> if you can picture that. Is she here? Miss Deborah in the house? No, but her husband is. Don't tell her I said that, all right? Good, amen. But I mean, she just comes up with these extravagant sayings that I, t that I it takes three weeks for me to process what she's actually saying. But a couple weeks ago, she said something along the lines of, your intentions may not match the reality. I started to think about that. Man, what does that mean? I intend to be a generous giver. I do. By the grace of God, over 14 years of studying this Bible, I know what Jesus teaches about money and possessions. I intend to use God's money for his glory. That's my intention. But is it the reality? And so I was curious. So I got on our bank website. And I pulled up the list of our transactions from the month of June. The month of June was the last month that Zoe and I were both at home. No trips or anything. So I pulled up the month of June and I started to go through each transaction. And I put them in categories. And what I found was shocking. What I found was that I was spending a lot of money on me. You see, I'm 27 years old. I don't get into clothes and, you know, fancy stuff. I mean, you'll probably see this shirt for another 10 years. My grandma got my, my shoes. My grandma got my underwear. My gra I'm sorry. I'm just, my bad. I just, Zoe and I, we're not into clothes. Thank God she's, you know, she's not into the extravagant coach purses and the dresses and the earrings. She just needs a softball. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I have a wife who enjoys sports, okay? So anyhow, we're not into that stuff. But here's one thing I will spend money on personally. Anything that will help this 27-year-old physique look and feel like it's 19, I'm going to drop money on it. Whatever supplement, whatever wheat grass I have to drink, whatever protein bar I can eat, if you tell me it's going to be good for me, I'll spend money on it. Because it's about me. And so through the transactions, I, I grouped them in three categories. Food, which is just our grocery trips. Out to eat. 
and then personal. Now group those together. I'm not going to tell you how much we spent in that month. <laughs> this is a little embarrassing. So after, after I saw the numbers, I said, okay, God, what can I do? How, how can I be a better steward of what you've given me? And so we, the past three weeks going on a month, I've been doing a little experiment. I've cut out all the GNC trips, all the supplement buying off the internet, all that stuff, cut all that out. We've been changing our grocery store. We were going to Kroger and Publix and Walmart, and then we found God's greatest gift to Hendersonville and Aldi's. Besides the church in Indian Lake, God's greatest gift to Hendersonville. I'm just playing. And so we've been shopping at Aldi's. Aldi's is unbelievable. We can get like double the food for half the price. It's been crazy. And so we've just been eating groceries, haven't been going out to eat, just trying to really be content. Just be content. And what I've learned over the past three weeks is that the things that I thought I needed, I really didn't need. And as rich people, we get so accustomed to having what we are used to having because once you take it away from us, we don't like that feeling. Whatever it takes for us to be comfortable, that's what we want. And we'll spend whatever money we have to spend as long as we are comfortable because we don't like to be uncomfortable. And that's been the case with me. And so God willing, if we spend what we have been spending this next week, we will have saved, this is embarrassing, for the month, $643.75. Roughly. Wow. Are you kidding me? If I told you, hey, I'm going to give you $600 this month, you think you could do something with it? <laughs> yeah. Over $600 if we continue to spend just what we have been spending. You know what that's taught me? I don't need everything that I think I need. I can be content with daily bread. And even daily bread to us means three square meals and snacks, right? But it's like Paul was teaching in, in Philippians. The secret to life, the secret to life, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full, whether I'm rich or whether I have nothing, the secret to life comes with contentment in Christ. Because we understand as God's people that our treasure is not in this earth. Our treasure is not on this earth. Our treasure is with Christ. And he is preparing a place for us that's going to be far beyond anything our human mind can comprehend. Everything, church, everything that is God's becomes ours when we are adopted into his family. Man. That's what we have to keep in our heads. As rich people, it's hard for us to enter into the kingdom. Jesus goes on in the passage. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I don't know if you've ever tried that. My thinking is that's impossible. And so the disciples are 
I mean, Jesus has his followers just going nuts. They don't understand. The followers, verse 24, the followers were amazed at what Jesus said. But he said again, my children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God for a rich person. Verse 26, the followers were even more surprised and said to each other, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? If rich people can't be saved, in their minds, they're thinking the rich people are the first ones in line. The rich people, the ones with status, the ones with the claim, the ones with power, surely they're going to be the first one at the gate ready to be let in by Christ. Surely. Jesus says, nope. It's impossible. It's impossible for a rich person to enter into the kingdom. And they're thinking, what? And then he comes with this amazing statement in verse 27. For people, this is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. For man, a rich person cannot be saved. But with God, anyone, anyone, anyone can be saved. Let me remind you of something else. There was a preacher who gave an illustration of grace. And I want to I wanna share that with you uh, this morning. You guys just bear with me. I know some of you are freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, what he's going to do? What's he going to do? What's your name, man? Rudy. There you go. My name's Matt. Good to meet you, Rudy. Your hair looks good, man. A lot better than mine. So Rudy. Never met Rudy. It's the first time I met him. Don't know him. First time I've seen him here, to my knowledge, Rudy, in that envelope, you will find a check for $1,000. <laughs> I'm just playing. Man, I'm just playing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Man, I hope you didn't get excited. Uh, in that envelope, you will find a check for $50. Check for $50. Why, Rudy. Why is Rudy any more special than any of you? Why did I choose him? Didn't know him, never seen him before, but I chose Rudy to give $50 to this morning. That's not church money either. Isn't that amazing? That's God's grace right there. That's God's grace. Out of seven billion people walking this planet, he chooses you. He chooses you. Why are you special? What separates you from everyone else on the planet? Nothing. That's why God's grace is so amazing. Because he just chooses you. He chooses to show his grace, his favor, his love on you. Rudy has an opportunity to accept the check or reject it. You have an opportunity this morning. God's grace is free. It's free. You can't earn it. I know that's hard as Americans to hear because we've been taught since little bitty babies. Nothing is given to you. Everything is earned. You have to go earn it. 
And so the temptation is, I can't accept this $50. What? Why, why me? No one else got $50. Why should I get $50? I didn't do anything to earn it. But that's the beauty of God's grace, church. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. Every single one of us can walk outside these doors and sell everything that we have and without God's grace be lost as lost can be. It is the grace of God that saves us. Not human effort. Not our amazing generosity toward the poor. Those things don't save us. God's grace is what saves us. And we either accept God's grace with open arms, knowing that we are the last people on the planet that deserve it, after all we have done against God, after all we have um, uh, sinned against God, we don't deserve it, but we accept God's grace freely into our lives. And then God's grace is the motivation for us to be generous givers. When you and I understand that Jesus loves us despite who we are on the inside, it is his grace that motivates us, that inspires us to be generous givers. Some of you, some of you may, I don't know who does the finances in your home, but some of you, you may need to sit down this week and just go through your transactions for a month and see, where's, where's, where's my money going? What am I spending money on? Where, where is my treasure? Because wherever my treasure is, you best believe that's where my heart's gonna be. Some of you this morning, I just encourage you to ask yourself the tough question. Where am I greedy? Where am I greedy? And are your intentions, do they match the reality? And I'm not gonna lie. It, it may take some wrestling with God. It may take some reading these scriptures and, and, and praying and spending time with the Father and wrestling with, man, where, where do I struggle? Where, where am I tempted to put my treasure in other than Christ? And I'll close with this story. It comes from Luke chapter 12. Jesus told a story about a farmer who planted, planted some seed and had a, an amazing harvest, an amazing return on his his seeds. And so he was, he was kind of dumbfounded and, and, and he thought, what am I going to do? I have one barn. All the crops that I have now won't even fit into that barn. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then the thought occurred to him, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barn and I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I'm going to take all of my crops and I'm going to store them in those barns. And then I'm going to kick two feet up, eat, drink, be merry, and live out the rest of my life. And God says to the man, foolish man, tonight your life will be taken from you. So who will get those things you have prepared for 
yourself. This is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves and are not rich toward God. Ouch. Cut straight to the heart, doesn't it? Since as Americans, here's what we're taught to do. Get all we can. Can all we get and then sit on our can. I got that from a professor in college. Never listened to a word he said until he said that. I had to write it down. But that's the truth. We get all we can. We can all we get, and then we sit on our can. This is mine, this is mine, this is ours. Even even Easton, at the very basic level of a two and a half year old, when we have friends come over and play, he's selfish. This is my toy. This is my toy. What do you know? Don't play with my toy. We went to a yard sale yesterday and bought like a couple of trucks for a couple of new toys for a dollar. And we bring them home, and I mean, he's just like. His world is just expanded, you know? He's got new toys, and, and he won't let anyone play with them. They're just his. He just wants to play with them all by himself. Even at that age, you see this, this just selfishness that it's ingrained with us from birth. It's part of our flesh, and we have to push back against that with the understanding that our treasure is not in money or our retirement account or our bank account, or our home, or our cars, or our bodies. Our, our, that's not where our treasure lies. Our treasure is with Christ. And one day, it's all going to be worth it. One day, a life full of pushback from greed and selfishness will all be worth it. So I just want to remind you, I'm not telling you, this message is going to hit each of you in a different manner because each of you are at a different place financially. But I just want to encourage you, if you are building barns, tearing down your barns and building bigger barns, for you, you're wrong. You're wrong. But if we tear down our barns and we build bigger barns so that we can be rich toward God, that's it. Should you feel guilty about being rich? <laughs> no. Let me remind you, there was a rich man, the Bible specifically says a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, who took the body of our Savior and purchased a tomb so that he could give our Savior a proper burial in that culture. If he wasn't rich, do you think he could purchase the tomb? Probably not. But he used his money to serve his God. Little did he know that the tomb he was purchasing would be the most famous tomb in all the in all the land, in all the world, because it's empty. Should you feel guilty about being rich? No. You should feel blessed. You should feel thankful.
And you should know that God has given you these things to use as a blessing toward others. I had a friend send me a text this week and asked me if I could give him $50. His water pump went out on his truck. If he caught me on the month of June, $50 would have been a hard pill to swallow. But because by the grace of God, we're trying, we're trying by God's grace to be better stewards of what he's given us, $50 wasn't half bad. So that's why we save. That's why we see where we can be better stewards so that when the opportunity arises for us to bless someone, we can bless someone in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus, we humbly come before your presence. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. God, we can do nothing without your grace. It is, your, it is by your grace that we are saved, Father. And we just thank you for your grace, Lord God. I just humbly ask that your grace will motivate us, will inspire us to be generous givers toward the things that really matter in this life, God. Kingdom, God, Kingdom building matters, Father. Help us focus our head. Help us focus our thoughts on these things, God. Not just building our lives to be more and more comfortable on this earth, Lord, but living for eternity, God. Help us with this, Jesus. We need you because we can't do it alone. God, we have to have you, Father. It is impossible for us to enter into your kingdom without your grace. So with arms open wide this morning, Father, we receive your grace. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church of Indian Lake.